0: This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses. Work of character My name is Tim Portia.
2: Beat for beat every week. My name is Andrew Carroll. Today we're
1: discussing Hollywood's favorite oddball, Landry Jones. Andrew, run down their history. Caleb Landry,
2: the Lizard Man Jones, was born in Texas in 1989. He began his career with small roles, such as the kid who gives Javier Bardem his shirt in No Country for Old Men. That's actually wrong, because he doesn't give him his shirt. Uh, He moved to LA and landed supporting roles in X-Men First Class, the Mark Wahlberg thriller Contraband, and Neil Jordan's Byzantium. His first lead role was in 2012, with Brandon Cronenberg's celebrity-obsessed body horror film Antiviral. 2017 has been his biggest year so far with turns in Get Out, The Florida Project, American Made, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. (laughs) His more recent work includes Friday's Child, David Lynch and Mark Frost's Twin Peaks, The Return, and 2020's The Outpost, in which he plays real-life Medal of Honor recipient Ty Michael Carter, another man with three names. (laughs) He is also a singer-songwriter, and his album "The Mother Stone" was released earlier this year.
1: Um, We're joined by uh, creator of "Easy," this is not where I belong, and host of YouTube soft drinks review show, Dear Drinks Man, Saw Delmore
0: Philbin Bowman. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me back. Also known as Drinks Man. (laughs) It's very catchy.
1: How has your show not been bought by like Quibi or something?
0: Um, Hopefully it will. But I mean, we want to like we're trying to push the the running time out past Quibi's uh, limits. You know, we're trying to.
1: You pitched us on Caleb Landry-Jones the evening you appeared on the William H. Macy episode. What is it about uh, Sweet Caleb you find so interesting?
0: He's just got this, like, you know, sort of um, mercurial presence, you know, like we were saying about the lizard man thing, but you can't take your eyes off him. He's got this, like, proper, like, you know, unusual sort of look about him kind of feel. And he's just, like, got this. Yeah, he's got a great presence, I think.
1: Yeah, because he looks and sounds like no one else in cinema or at least no one popping up in these, like, mainstream movies or kind of buzzy indie flicks. Uh, he's got this beautiful red hair, which he often lets grow long, and he's mm-hmm. very pale and freckly. He looks so otherworldly, but he's right in that sweet spot where he can be attractive and be kind of alluring and otherworldly, but also can like really scum it up in yeah. a great way, yeah. 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 you know. And it seems like something he likes to do, like go grubby like in like God's Pocket or Heaven Knows What, America Made, or even a small turn in, as you said, the Twin Peaks reboot. He's just got this like strange Southern accent and a sort of mumbly way of speaking that mm. also makes him so distinctive. But yet, yeah, despite those characteristics, which could be limiting, like he's managed to cover this very prolific career, which um, is really yeah. impressive. Like he's played villains, he's played cuties, he's been in TV shows, movies, he's re- he's released an album, he was even in like Breaking Bad for a couple yeah, of episodes, yeah. and he's worked with everybody. So um, yeah, let's dig in. Um, I'll top it. The first time I noticed him was in Byzantium, the Neil Jordan movie, yeah. which was Neil Jordan's kind of other vampire flick, the one that isn't Interviewed a Vampire. Yeah, but even though like Byzantium was a vampire flick, like it's not really a horror. It's sort of like. A gothic kind of melancholic story, you know, uh, a bit like kind of Crimson Peak or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, these two mysterious uh, women posing as sisters, uh, Clara, played by Gemma Arterton and Ella, played by Sirce Ronan, they seek refuge in this uh, rundown coastal resort in Hastings, England. They're being pursued by these kind of villains who seem kind of shadowy. Clara meets lonely Noel, played by Daniel Mays. You might have seen it recently in White Lines, that TV show on Netflix. Noel provides shelter for them in his um, deserted guest house, which is called Byzantium. It's like a hotel. It used to be a hotel. Now it's kind of been a rundown. Meanwhile, Ella befriends uh, Frank, who's played by Caleb Andrew Jones, and she tells them their like lethal, lethal secret that they're vampires and that they were born two hundred years ago and survive on human blood. And sort of as their knowledge of that secret spreads, their past catches up with them with deadly consequences. Um, I wish more movies like Byzantium were made because it's like supernatural genre movies that are mature and for adults and like don't talk down to their audiences and it's storytelling is really rich like every character is like fleshed out and has like motives that make sense and feel real and is played by an actor up to the task. like everyone is in this movie like Tom Hollander Sam Riley uh, Johnny Lee Miller like you go through the cast and like even down to, like, people who have, like, two or three scenes. It's like, Maria Doyle Kennedy, you're one from The Commitments, wow. You're going through, you're like, I know that face, know that face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's It's like a, it's, Which is a lot of, actually, Caleb Andrew Jones movies, I like that, because, like, Three Billboards, yeah. War on Everyone, like, amazing cast. And there's, like, a lot of interesting themes in Byzantium about how, like, women have been, like, persecuted and punished through the ages and how things change a lot over time, but certain fundamentals stay the same. And it's, like, a really good script by Maura Buffini. Uh, it was based on her play. And then, but, like, Neil Jordan, who's also, like, a really great novelist, um, has man- manages to take that kind of very literary script and like depict it in a very cinematic way which yeah. is great and um, speaking about flesh characters Caleb's is really great he plays a half American half English uh, teenager who's battling leukemia who falls for Ella and it's it's kind of interesting because like he's taking these like uh, anti-coagulant medication, pill, medication yeah. to you know help him with his disease which makes him bleed a lot and she's a vampire Ooh. she's immortal and he's so aware of his mortalness and they sort of, kind of like opposites attract. They come together. He's
0: literally aware of his own mortality.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's great. You love a good theme, don't you? <laughs> and uh, I saw a few people on message boards kind of criticizing his performance because, like, he's he has a kind of a weird accent in the movie, and he kind of dresses in an anachronistic way. But um, like, I completely disagree with that because I think everything. The, the character does make sense it, like once you get his sort of backstory because like first of all like Caleb's skin is so pale that it's really yeah. easy to make him look sickly yeah. which they do with aplomb
0: I like how you're calling him Caleb all the time like he's your friend people do that all the time when they're just like talking about any random celebrity they're like yeah. oh yeah Brad's great in this and you're like you don't know Brad Pitt
1: <laughs> I usually would do the surname thing but I'd never know if I should say just Jones or Landry Jones Lizard you know? man works <laughs> Lizard <on>. man t- <laughs> <laughs> don't come that sounds mean <laughs> Oh no, it's definitely a compliment and No one wants
2: to be called. Oh, you, you... What type of animal do I remind you of? Oh, a lizard. They'll be like, oh, thanks. Caleb Landry, the lizard man Jones, <laughs> strikes me as a man who is not on any form of social media other than MySpace.
1: Um, <laughs> can, I, can I proceed? Continue, can Steve. I proceed? <laughs> he has all these um, kind of odd character ticks, But, you know, like, he spent a lot of time alone in bed. Or he spent a lot of time in hospitals. And, you know, because of his chemo. And, like, he's moved around a lot. And because of this, he's kind of become, like, an introverted, artsy little teenager. <laughs> and... In in it, they make points about how he writes short stories, and then he's like this like beautiful like model of the solar system done in his room like he's kind of a bit of a like kind of a shut in and i actually the performance is quite deft in how it and you know, it unifies his character's life experience into just the way he moves and talks in a really interesting way. And uh, I think because of his weird upbringing where he didn't get the chance to probably be much of a normal kid, because of his illness, he's got this mix of like, childlike wonder and naivete, but also fragility and world weariness you know, and something which kind of links up with Saoirse Ronan's character in the movie where she's had to go on the run for 200 years, never getting close to people in case they find out who she is and constantly being talked to and talked down to and treated like a child because she looks like yeah, a teenager. Yeah. And uh, you totally... like they're the both, Classic anime trick. Yeah, like they're both tired classic. and stuck and you totally get why they would come together. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of a more romantic side to Caleb because after this, he spends you know a good few years you know playing psychos and scumbags, yeah. you know, <laughs> and racists, and yeah. racists. Don't
2: forget the racists.
1: As I remember, right after I saw Byzantium, like, it must have been a couple of months later. I watched Antiviral for the first time, oh, and yeah. like he's sickened for a lot of that. And I'm like, is this, this guy's like the sick guy? <laughs> you know? Do you not agree that the mania
0: surrounding celebrity is reaching an unhealthy level? No, I don't.
1: My clients want to feel more connected to those people that they see in the magazines and on television. Enjoy. So far, I've had all her diseases. (laughs) Must have been expensive. Uh, Is there any way you could spread it? Uh. What happened to Anna Geist? (laughs) It's pretty shocking. (laughs)
2: Sid March, who's Caleb Landry, the lizard man Jones' character, in his first leading role is a Lucas Clinic employee who infects people with diseases bought from celebrities. However, he goes on the run after being infected by the virus that killed superstar Hannah Geist. Yeah, so it's kind of a movie about the newest form of celebrity obsession, which is like getting sick. And I remember reading that uh, Brandon Cronenberg said he saw an episode of Jimmy Kimmel where Sarah Michelle Gellar was like, had a cold and was like if I sneezed right now everyone in the studio would be infected and the whole crowd just cheered yeah amazing, amazing. <laughs> thank god
1: <laughs> what a different time yeah <laughs> it's,
2: it's funny because like that movie's
0: from 2012 but like it's completely you know foreshadowed even more you know intense celebrity obsession that we have today yeah, like it's yeah. crazy
1: um, I feel like Brandon Cronenberg really understands how interesting Caleb Landry Jones's face is and <laughs> shot yeah, the yeah, hell out of it Yeah, for so sure
0: it, like there were so many bits in the movie where like you know it just like struck me re rewatching it because I watched it back then or whatever and it's like there's just bits where he's not saying anything, but he's expressing so much with his face, yeah like, it's particularly expressive
1: and like a lot of shots in this film. where his like pale skin is like right up against like a white background and yeah, then he's wearing yeah. like a black jacket and like a really like the whitest shirt yeah, ever, yeah. and it, it just looks like really clinical the whole mm. world, and then that kind of clinical world gets like disrupted by all this like blood and viscera as the yeah. movie continues, and you know he starts to fall apart, uh, which in a really cool way I think mm-hmm. um I think it's probably his like most muted turn. Right. yeah i'd
0: say so yeah and it's, yeah. which is interesting given it's his first leading role. you know yeah he kind of like he has this like mercurial thing where you're like you know you can't take your eye off in the movie he's not saying that much it's not like super um like you know loud performance or whatever he's, as you're saying kind of muted but like he is expressing like a lot
1: when you're watching the movie you are so it's looking at and focusing on sort of what it's saying about celebrity and also you're sort of getting into the neo-noir mystery of what exactly yeah. happened to hannah, Geist. hannah, hannah character Geist, yeah, yeah. In the last scene, you sort of realize that the kind of whole story of the movie has sort of been Sid himself. And sort of, we kind of take for granted at the beginning of the movie that he's been, you know, injecting himself with these diseases because he wants, he's, it's like a little side hustle, yeah. like to sign him off to the people. But he's so lonely yeah, <laughs> throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Like, even when, like, when he's yeah, talking, he's
2: no friends at all.
1: He eats the celebrity that's like, or eats the steak that's grafted from the celebrity skin. Like, you're like, oh, is he doing that for his little research? But at the end, you kind of realize that he's just as obsessed with celebrity as the colli- or the client at the beginning of the movie yeah. who he injects with the celebrity's herpes yes. you know like and uh, I think the last scene of that uh, really hammers that home in a horrifying yeah. way but even like uh, talking
0: about details and stuff like this that one bit at the beginning where it's like a just so like the script and everything is so like precise it's like oh, you know, you'll want this injected on the right side of your mouth yeah. because if she if she kissed you, that's where it would be kind of thing. There's like little details like that that are like, like this film's full of them. Like, That's yeah. okay. kind of great.
1: You said on Letterboxd a point which I completely agree with, even though I think I like the movie a bit yeah. more than you, that the movie never quite gets there. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what you meant by that, but I, but I also totally do.
2: All of his father's films, uh, like The Fly or The Brood, there is always something crazy that happens towards the end, like, you know, Jeff Goldblum. Mm -hmm. turns into a man fly or uh, in the brood, you know, Oliver Reed is killed by evil mutant children. And I feel like maybe it was intentional and maybe Brandon Cronenberg was kind of going for a bit more subtle, more muted kind of thing. And because that's because the film does feel a bit more subtle and muted um, than even David Cronenberg's most subtle movies. um, And it just feels like it could have there could have been more.
1: Yeah, like, I think it's a good calling card movie and like it's a good like I'm not just a good I'm, debut even. Yeah, like I'm not just Brandon Cronenberg's son or not just David Cronenberg's son, like I have like my own sort of like vision. Because yeah. it does feel a little bit different to his father's movies. It's, yeah, it's a lot talking, it feels a yeah. bit more even our house. Yeah. No. yeah.
0: Although every time I've ever heard discussed, it's like, oh, the movie by Brandon Cron-, you know, by David Cronenberg's son. Yes. That's it's yeah, just hard yeah. 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 to escape, especially if it's like a name like Cronenberg, you know what, yeah. what I mean? And you're gonna choose to use that name, you know, like when you direct films or whatever. That's yeah. like, you know, that's gonna be tough to escape a little yeah. bit. But I thought I think it's an excellent film. I like. I really enjoyed watching it again.
1: I think I wrote in my letterbox that uh, I kind of compared Brandon Cronenberg to Panos uh, Cosmatos. Cosmatos. Cosmatos, Cosmatos yeah. And I was like, kind of, Antiviral feels a bit like his Beyond the Black Rainbow, and I'm kind of hoping Possessor is his Mandy. You know, and then also gross. you have the connection
0: yeah. with Andrea Riseborough then as well. That's yeah, true too.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, we talk a little bit about Heaven Knows What. Yes. Let's do it.
0: Fun fact about me watching Heaven Knows What. We watched it in the apartment the other night. I was Super tired, but I was like determined, like, not to fall asleep watching it. Right? So, I'm like on the couch watching it. I'm like, okay, here's what I have to do I've got to get up and sit at the kitchen. Like, we have like a combined kitchen room. Yeah. Go with me on this for a second. <laughs> it's, like, I, what I have to do in order to is this like, about another tattoo? So, it's not. I was like, whatever I have to do to like to not fall asleep here. So, I was like, I was lined up. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go sit at the kitchen table because we have a projector or whatever. I was like, I was like, okay, oh, cool. and that worked. It worked. Like, I mean, I thought it was a great film. I really enjoyed it. I didn't fall asleep.
1: I think that's a great way to watch heaven knows what, which is such a, a hard back chair.
0: But it was more like, you know, I, I made, like, 20 minutes in, I was like, I made the conscious decision, I was like, I've got to move from this, you know, like, half-lying position, otherwise yeah. it's going to be, like, end in tears.
1: Yeah, just because it's sort of like an it, it, like an independent, like, kind of cult flick. I think seeing it, like, projected in a sort of weird circumstance yeah. <laughs> sort of works for the way the Sapti brothers, I feel like they probably screened it for their friends in that way, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like, I think
0: it was cl- as close as I could get to the experience of being on heroin without actually <laughs> taking heroin.
1: Yeah, it's the Parano- most <laughs> yeah. realistic movie about drugs I've seen in uh, recent memory. I'm For sure. sure
0: but I also enjoyed about, like, you know, having re- having watched, you know, Coach M's obviously recently. And Good Time, it's like, I haven't seen Daddy Long Legs, but it's like, they're applying their, the thing that they do. But it's like, to people who are much slower moving, you know what I mean? Or yes. like more kind of <laughs> yeah, lugubrious yeah. or whatever. Yeah.
1: I think it's as good as Good Time or Uncle James because it's still got, like, a really pounding soundtrack. Oh, yeah. It's got their sort of, like, great moments of, um, like, little details that just sort of enhance, like, the v- verisimilitude of the like the world. Like, there's that bit where um, there's someone, like, they're going trying to go into a place and the security guard has, like, I think it's, like, a homeless shelter and the security guard has, like, a plaster and, like, a really weird part of his like, face that's, mm. so like, down from yeah, his eyebrow. Yeah. And it's it's probably because, like, yeah, some... Someone heroin addict him, like razor punched razor you or blade, yeah. something you know or like there's a bit where they go into a shop uh to when harley is trying to buy the razor blades at the oh, beginning yeah. of the movie and like there's something on a high shelf and he takes one of those um you know those things that people have like to grab stuff yeah and like grabs it up and like, i've never seen one of them in a movie used in that way before <laughs> and you're like oh this is probably just like that real life guy yeah, who they just yeah. pulled off the street because he's think, not grabbing a remote or whatever <laughs> yeah like caleb is um the only professional actor i think in the movie at least when the movie was being made because I've seen Ariel Holmes in American Honey after that yeah. Um, yeah so the story is based on the the lead actress Ariel Holmes memoirs with her playing like a lightly fictionalized version of herself and you know it's about homeless heroin eggs in New York and uh, I think it features Kev Angie Jones at his most disheveled and unkept playing Elia who uh, was a real life person yeah. who um, is in a sort of destructive on and off again relationship with Harley the main character mm-hmm. and um, like the movie begins with like him being really, really monstrous. uh, It it begins with him goading his girlfriend into killing herself. Jesus. And then she doesn't. He's like, oh my God. And then he rings and calls an ambulance for her. And then he doesn't go into the hospital with her. Oof. You're like, this guy is the worst. There's no way you can redeem him. And the movie doesn't really redeem him because he's pretty horrible after Like, There's another part where he throws a cigarette at her.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Starts horrible, stays horrible. Stays horrible. But there's little bits towards the end of the movie where, because basically he overdoses and she kind of resuscitates him and then they sort of have this kind of nice night together where they're going around like stealing stuff and like selling it off to other people. Yeah. And uh, smooching. And smooching and they're, um you know, they're buying heroin off a guy and there's kind of a cute part where he doesn't have enough money to get the heroin like he's like $10 short and he's like, oh, come on, do it for me, do it for me this time and the guy is like, Fine, okay, go ahead. okay, I'll do it. And he's like, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he keeps saying thank you and thank you over and over again and the guy's like, Shut the fuck up <laughs> or there's the bit where he throws the phone and the firework goes off at the same time and he's like, That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it's kind of good. Yeah. But um they're not like like he is he's like a really nasty character in the movie, but uh, there's like Harley's narration where she talks about how he was a sweet boy at one time and that she still loves him because she kind of he introduced her to Drugs. You know, dr- yeah, drugs and kind of an, a new side to herself. The that she lifestyle, understand, yeah. the lifestyle, the scene, and you <laughs> could, like could tell like the euphoria of drugs at the beginning because you know, drugs are great. You know, the first time you take them, as everyone says, but then you know the, keep, you keep on taking yeah, them, you yeah. become addicted, and I think like you feel like the the addiction like really like hardened them and like turned them kind of like sucked all the good out of them. Yeah, what do you think about um, Heaven Knows What?
0: I did like really enjoy it. The music and like I really like abject hopelessness in a film I'm like a big fan of that as a generally optimistic person in my like day to day goings about the place I really find a lot in you know Requiem for a Dream yeah exactly Like, like just, just horrible early bleak la- stuff early Lars von Trier absolutely all of it <laughs> and it's like also like because I watched The Florida Project as well it's so, like a little little segue for you there like that film is not not like you know completely abjectly hopeless The Florida Project but like there was like you know the bits of it that were hopeless were like pretty much like full on and then after we watched a couple of us watched it last night and everyone was like that was kind of heavy and I was like, Yeah, yeah, it was, but I was like really excited as yeah. well.
1: <laughs> I saw an interview or I listened to an interview on the podcast The Watch, which is a great podcast, where they interviewed uh, the creator of that TV show, Betty, which was on HBO now, which is about uh, skaters in New York and they use oh, yeah. they non professional actors similar and it has a similar kind of camera over over the shoulder vibe to like the Sapti yeah. Brothers movies like heaven knows what. And she was saying that when you're casting a movie like that or a TV show you, you'd think that you'd have to kind of really pay attention to non-professional actors and make sure they're really good but you don't because it's sort of their life and you really have to make sure that if you're hiring professional actors that they fit into the vibe of that. Yeah. And I feel like Jennifer Jason Leigh in Good Time is that and Lakeith and Uncut Gems is that and like Caleb like that and Caleb in Heaven Knows What is like mm. that and in heaven knows what, like a lot of those details I mentioned about like how nasty he is, but then also like how there's like slivers of like, you know, little moments and little kind of like personality and like goodness. Humanity. In his, humanity in there. Like they don't feel scripty. They feel like really character Like Safdie brothers went out and just like recorded just two people talking. And I think that's really impressive that he was able to just be so authentic sure. in that way. You know? Yeah.
0: That was like, um as you're saying, he was, uh, I didn't know that, but he was the only, only professional actor in the movie at the time. He like uses that, but he's not showy about it. You know, yeah. I, I think yeah. yeah, it's like there's little bits. You know, like you're saying, it's like where like you know that kind of like flashes through a little bit, but it's not like show offy or like um or loud in any way.
1: Yeah, I saw a piece written about the movie that uh, said Cavill forwent the swanky hotel insisted on by his representatives and spent his nights in New York, embedded with Ariel Holmes and his character's real life counterpart who uh, who died a year after the movie came out, and uh, it shows in the end product. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. When it comes to understanding political issues, I am a self-confessed toddler. That's why I've enlisted the help of Steve, my politically savvy drinking buddy, to help me better understand politics. Every couple of weeks, we get together and record on topics like what is the politics of language, what is Watergate, how the internet is killing democracy.
2: We take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite-sized bits. If you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network.
1: And now back to the show. We talk a bit about War on Everyone. Maybe we as well do it chronologically, right? Let's, let's talk about this Mick Jagger looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this War on Everyone's a real favorite of mine. Like it's a kind of a throwback to those like buddy cop flicks at the eighties and nineties, sort of like bad boys, mm. or you know, even stuff like Forty Eight Hours, or, or that's not really a buddy cop movie, but like buddy movies that have crime involved in them. And I
0: have seen War on Everyone, but I haven't seen it since it came out. But it was amazing. I
1: loved it. Yeah. Because like it pushes the characters in those types of movies scumbaggery to like new levels, Mm. while at the same time somehow I think being a lot more thoughtful and warm. Mm -hmm. Because you know it centers on these two two corrupt cops played by Michael Pena and Alexander Skarsgard, who you know while investigating a case and hoping to get a couple of thousand dollars out of it through bribery or you know a TV or an Xbox. There's that really funny scene where Michael Pena is in his house and he's watching Out of Sight on one TV yeah, and then yeah. under him his kid is playing Xbox <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on a different TV <laughs> um, yeah, to do, yeah they're trying to like get all this money through Barbie and they stumble upon this British aristocrat criminal played by Theo James, and his right hand man played by this deliciously fey Caleb Andrew Jones who are even more despicable than them and they sort of have to step up and do the the moral thing for once
2: fey I knew I was looking for a word to describe him <laughs> I just have simpering fool
1: yeah because this movie got some mixed reviews and I I do understand why but and I think at times what Pena and Scarlet's characters say or do can be uncomfortable to watch and and feel kind of (laughs) complicit (laughs) in and I do think the movie at times revels a little too much in like their bad attitudes but I think the magic of the screenplay is watching them come to not only think about their best interests in a world which can drive people nihilistic and the movie certainly has a lot of like little like lines and like tangents that are very nihilistic but do some actual good you know mm. that's why I like it
0: like speaking of mixed reviews as well I remember like watching it at the time and like absolutely being like that was amazing loved it and then like reading Tara Brady's review in the Arch Times she gave it like a one star I was like <laughs> swore off her reviews yeah. for like a year afterwards I was like <laughs> I agree with her sometimes but this time she's gone too far
1: I feel like the thing that really kept annoying me about the reviews for when everyone were saying that it didn't know it, its tone was off or its tone was off the face where I feel like it's it's so in control of its tone and that's why I like it yeah the Iceland bit that bit's really funny and all the other bit about they're talking about Blue Lagoon really funny yeah the thing I love about the Iceland truck is when they come back and their police chief is like where the hell have you been for days Iceland and they're yeah, like yeah yeah. It's actually <laughs> <to work. That's laughs> a, yeah yeah what a, what a coincidence <laughs> it's so funny Alexander Skarsgård is incredible in this he movie. he is really good yeah. like i don't know like i don't know how i would have never thought of him as someone who's so like gifted comedically but mm. he's really really funny yeah i think any scene with him and caleb together there's like just like such electricity like yeah. and, and it's not even like the best dialogue like the bit where they are questioning him in the like the bar when they first meet him and caleb Andrew Jones like you guys are adorable what precinct are you from? And he's like, we're from hell, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which would sound like, obviously is ridiculous, but would sound even more ridiculous in the words of someone who isn't Alexander Skarsgård, I think. Yeah, yeah and there's yeah.
1: the really funny bit where like, Michael Pena is being like the real smartass, but Alexander Skarsgård's clearly drunk and he's just like, give us our fucking address. <laughs> like, he's just like, leaning <laughs> up. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, um, yeah, so, but Caleb Angie jones what I like about this character a lot is that He's playing someone who would read on the script as being um, your kind of conventional, like villainous, like right hand man, and mm. it's always uh, that c- that can be a role that can be really good in the right actor's hands because they're always wild and they're sort of crazy, but it can be kind of bad if you just kind of get a tough guy. It can be yeah, sort of boring. Yeah. But uh, Caleb is definitely you know the right actor in this yeah, world, yeah. like, and I don't even know how to describe his performance because like uh, in one aspect he's playing the character as if he's a child and he like chews bubble gum, he's soft spoken, he kind of giggles when he yeah. talks. He has this like high pitched voice that goes up at the end of sentences, and he has tantrums like there's the bit where he's like uh, i'm gonna fuck over those fucking assholes. Mm. when he has like his eye cut out yeah, yeah. fucking great um but at the same time he's got this like insanely jittery energy anytime he's in a scene with his boss who's probably theo james, uh like his eyebrows go up and down he like touches his face a lot he's, his breathing's really heavy, yeah. his voice fluctuates, and which seems to be a mix of fear of this person, but also because he's so powerful, mm. but also like characters call him a psycho, and it's almost like he can barely. Keep composed. He's yeah, just so yeah. insane, and as you said, like he's, hes sort of his whole career. He's been auditioning for the Joker, yeah. And like he genuinely looks crazy when he like smashes the window window of Penny's wife's store, and it's like Aloha, ladies. Yeah. Or when he's—he's he's got the knife when Scars Guy chasing him to the roof, and he's like, "Come on, little piggy." like, they also made this decision to style him in these '70s like suits, yeah, very colorful, very Mick Jagger and performance. Yeah, and they even make a joke (laughs) about Huggy Bear in the. Yeah, and I just like all the choices are so left field and bizarre, but somehow unify. And you're just left wanting to know like everything about his character. Yeah,
2: like what's his deal? How did he meet Theo James? He's sort of like the Renfield to Theo James as Dracula.
1: That's actually a great read Mm. because
2: Theo James is always sort of like shadow. Yeah, lives in a castle. There is that great tracking shot that follows him through the house, and then ends with an Irishman saying fucking Brits you never know when to shut up and, and then gets he gets his head, his head, head off, cut off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also that character's name is Podrick Power <laughs> yeah which is Paddy great Power amazing uh, the bit at the end please sponsor us
1: when Alexander Skarsgård is like picks up his head yeah and he's like we should give it a proper burial and Michael Penny's like oh god I thought you were going to like keep it as a souvenir or something. <laughs> <laughs> amazing you're okay. wrong Tara Brady yeah. it's a good movie the, the, the,
2: the shootout at the end of the movie and uh, spoilers but Russell Birdwell, Caleb Landry, the lizard man Jones' character is shot in the balls, and uh, he says something like, "No, please don't." And Alexander got just just—I knew your last words would be shit. Shoots, shoots him in the, the head, head.
1: <laughs> and then Michael Penny also has a really cool line because he's got Theo James cornered, and Theo James is like, "How much would it take for you to like for this to all go away?" And Michael Pena is like, "Your life." He's <laughs> like, "That's a good fucking line." And then gets shot. What a movie! I love it more now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a year after working with John Michael McDonough, he appears in his brother Martin's Oscar nominated three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, playing the nice odd man who sells Francis McDormand's grieving mother spots on the film's title billboards that she uses to ignite her, uh, the investigation into her daughter's murder. Cable's original cast as Francis McDormand's son, who's played really good and well in the movie by uh, Lucas Hedges. Apparently, the movie took a few years to get off the ground, and by the time it did, Caleb was too old for the part, so he took the smaller role. Yeah. And um, he only has a few scenes, but he's great, and it's good to see him not play a crazed weirdo. And apparently, you know, McDonough said that they, they wanted him to play against type and harness the sweeter, more intellectual side of him that you would probably seen something like yeah. Byzantium. So he, he has like two really big scenes. Like one involves him getting thrown out a window <laughs> by Sam, Rock- Sam Rockwell's racist cop uh, because he's annoyed at how. The signs make the police department look, and he's also grieving his friend who uh, has just died yeah. in the movie.
0: But that's classic, I know that face as well because it's like, oh yeah, Caleb Landry Jones is not he the guy that gets like the racist brother and get out, or the guy gets thrown out the window?
1: people literally, people two separate people. shot in the yeah. balls in yeah. the morning. Yeah.
2: Everyone, yeah. <laughs> two people said to me today, they're like, oh, you're talking about him, that crazed artist in Welcome the Stranger, that movie no one saw. <laughs> I'm like, yes, doesn't he sneak out the diseases in his own body? <laughs> Now, in this scene where he gets thrown out the window, not a
1: lot of acting apart from pain. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the other scene is like in the hospital scene later between him and Rockwell. Hey, man. You doing okay? gee You got burned up pretty bad, huh? We'll be okay, though. You, know, you want a glass of orange juice? You got a straw somewhere. <laughs> okay you'll be you'll be okay I'm sorry Willby.
0: you know me I'm sorry you sorry sorry for what throwing you out the window
1: Uh, What's amazing to me about the movie Three Billboards is how certain characters completely change their attitude and perspective in a way which feels natural and not saccharine. Like Sam Rockwell's Dixon in the film is like such a realistically abhorrent person like throughout. Like you're watching and you're thinking like there's no way this guy could be like redeemed, particularly after throwing Caleb out a window and punching his girlfriend in the face (laughs) in the process. Yet when the moment happens, you know, you buy the transformation. A lot of it is down to this hospital scene involving him and Caleb. Because uh, basically, uh, Francis McDormand throws a Molotov cocktail through the window of the police station where Rockwell, well, Rockwell's there, and for once he does like a selfless act, like he f- saves her daughter's case files, but you know, getting severe burns in the process, yeah. and he winds up in the same hospital room as Caleb, who he's just thrown out a window, and Rockwell's bandaged up from head to toe, and Caleb comes in to give support to him because he's like a good person, not realizing it's Rockwell, and Rockwell tells him like. I'm sorry for throwing you out the window. And Caleb immediately gets like really scared and really panicky and he's hyperventilating and you're not sure for a sec like what his character's going to do. Like, is he going to kill him? (laughs) You know? And we see him like messing with a drink of juice and you're wondering like, is he going to poison him? And it's all shot from Rockwell's POV and you can see his bandages coming over. So like, it's it's kind of, you're meant to think like something scary is going to happen. And he comes over with a straw so he can drink through the bandage. And it's like a simple, you're meant to believe that like this simple act of kindness Fundamentally changes Sam Rockwell's character as a person, mm. and you do because of you realize how tough it is for Caleb to, you know, turn the yeah, other cheek. Yeah, yeah. Will we talk about Get Out? Yeah, definitely. Get Out. I didn't watch Get Out for this, so you can have a
2: chat. Yeah, <laughs> no, but he's only in Get Out for like. Is he two only in Get Out for two? two? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, he's a big impression. He has that big dinner. Yeah, it's that's the thing. That's, I have literally have it written down. Do you like jiu jitsu. Like, yeah, um, he's just not. He's not someone you forget, despite no. that limited screen time.
0: So, Chris, what's your sport? Football? Baseball? Basketball, mostly. I guess. You and MMA fan?
1: Dude. Dude, what? What?
0: Hey, Jeremy, why don't we uh, let someone else have the floor for a second?
1: You're dating my sister, right? He's dating my sister. You had your chance. I can't get
2: to know the guy. He plays um, Jeremy Armitage, who's the youngest sibling of the Armitage family. He's like, a, he's like a weird kind of preppy lacrosse jock. Yeah. Like the worst kind of jock.
1: I saw somebody describe his character in Get Out saying that it's kind of like a preppy, one of those preppy college kids like gone to seed. Yeah. I think it's a really <laughs> good description. Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: The big scene he has is at dinner where he's uh, talking to um, Chris, who is Daniel Culli's character, and uh, his dad, who's Bradley Whitford, and his mom, and uh, Rose. And it adds like a lot of color and foreshadowing to an already like kind of weird faux liberal strangeness that's going on. You know, the whole I would have have voted for Obama a third time if I could have, just like I would have seen get out a third time if I could have. Um, (laughs) But it is like that weird thing where like there's this thing that a lot of white people seem to do. And I think I've seen it on Twitter where like uh, people of color will say that, oh, uh, they said this, uh, a white person said this to me or this to me. And it's like white people will say like the weirdest shit to them for the first time, like to a complete stranger, that stuff they wouldn't say to their best friend of 30 years.
1: Mm. You watched his GQ where he's breaking down all his roles. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting when he was talking about Get Out that he said that he focused on was how much Jeremy really hates his family. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was interesting because I, I, I didn't really clock that watching mm. Get Out. I've seen it a few times now.
2: Yeah, it's odd because um, obviously he's still a horrible person and helps them. What he said about that was weird and needed a bit more time and be- a better explanation because he's on about puking up stuff. Yeah, to it was do very. He, he's
1: very interesting to yeah, listen to. Yeah, and when
2: interesting, I mean, kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like I need more time to unpack what he said, but uh, I. I do get the impression because he's he's always like simmering like kind of like a pot which is something as I said which he kind of
1: doesn't warn everyone and also in Heaven Knows What where you're just like watching him and he's like very still and you're like geez what's he gonna do like there's just like something like boiling you know also in
0: Antiviral you watch him like you know uh, simmer. And Antiviral, yeah. So yeah. But you watch him simmer and boil and Antiviral for, you know, almost two hours and like you know, only really at the end is he like, you know, you're like, oh, this guy's really unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> this
1: Vulture interview is really good where they're speaking to Caleb Landry Jones and they also speak to, I think they speak, the, the guy, Bican, spent a, a night with Caleb Landry Jones and then he interviewed all the people he worked with. And Peel said about him, uh, Peel had originally envisioned Caleb's character Jeremy to be more conventionally preppy. He said, churches of the original idea are there, just filtered through the entity that is Caleb Landry and Jones. Uh, and apparently, uh, Peel chose Kevin J. Jones because he liked antiviral so much. And Peel also said he has an unpredictable wildcard energy where you feel like he's a little bit method. He really meshes with his character and tries to understand and live in that character, which is a little scary, to be honest. So <laughs> I feel like Peel was a little freaked out. I hope
0: somebody <laughs> at some point describes me and Deer Drinks Man, like my role in the show as an entity. <laughs> I, I really like that. I really, really like that.
1: Um, we talked about American Made. Good luck, kid.
2: I'll tell you what, Bay. I'm going to send
1: you a goddamn address, okay, Barry? You're going to start sending me cash on the fucking regular.
2: You understand? You hear me?
1: You just didn't watch this, did you? No. American no. is so fun. Um, I'd argue it's one of the better of those kind of distinctly American comedy crime dramas based on uh, like, can you believe it? You know, mm, kind of yeah, story. Yeah. Like kind of movies like I, Tonya, Hustlers, War Dogs or My Beloved American Hustle. Um, so American made Centers on Barry Seal played by Tom Cruise at like his most like I'm an Halo Star. Yeah. Enjoy me kind of <laughs> performance. Um, he, Barry Seal was just this ordinary pilot who worked for TWA before he was recruited by the CIA in 1978 I have seen
0: American Made or I forgot it was called American Made <laughs> yeah I've seen this movie yes yeah it's good right? just, yeah I really enjoyed it but I, again similar to, um, to War and Everyone I saw it at the time and I really liked it but yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it since
1: um, yeah so he's recruited by the CIA in 1978 fronted by an excellently shady Donald Gleeson um, his work in South America eventually caught the eye of the Medellin cartel uh, associated with Pablo Escobar who needed a man with his skill set Barry became a drug trafficker, gun smuggler, and money launderer, soon acquiring the title The Gringo That Always Delivers. Uh, really fun, breezy movie. It's directed by Doug Lyman, who made The Born Identity and Edge of Tomorrow. He's has kind got of, yeah, he's one of my favorite journeymen because he's not really an auteur because he does so many different types of movies and like, he doesn't really have a stamp, I think. But the films of his that I have seen, they're very well assembled, fast paced, and they have this kind of like wild energy. And in American Made, it definitely feels like he said, how can we tell this like complicated larger life story in like the most speedy, dynamic way possible? So there's like nice little concise character beats that tell you all you need to know fast. There's kind of fun narration from Seal himself, which actually becomes a plot point at one point. There's well-chosen uh, archival clips, and you know, every few minutes there's a moment that makes you go, like, holy shit, like this yeah. is crazy. Um but midway through the movie, there's a montage of how much money is making how successful he's become we see him having sex with his beautiful wife while piloting a plane and in vo he says like america is the greatest country in the world and everything seems to be going so well and Woo, then cocaine and then the montage cuts out and it's just caleb Landry jones shirtless wearing a cap boasting a mullet and a terrible ronnie and you think like oh god <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to tom cruise who's been doing this kind of like kind of running commentary on the movie like and it's like him talking into like a video camera and he's like jb <laughs> <laughs> K like, uh, Kevin jones plays jb who's his um wife's brother and he like he shows up and he's like got no money and tom cruise gives him like a job of like cleaning up like the airplane hangar, and he ends up like stealing money from him buying a car picking up 15 year olds <laughs> um he you know gets arrested ends up blackmailing tom cruise uh, becomes a big problem in the film and um like like again it's kind of like a southern fried take on his like heaven knows what character but slightly less intense mm. like his character in the safety Rose movie maybe before he tried heroin and became homeless but it's a credit to Caleb that even when he's playing a character who's such an idiot and an asshole you just can't wait to see, and you can't wait to see him get his just desserts like and which he does in this amazing scene where Tom is trying so hard to save his ass and get him out of the country because the cartel know he's a liability and Caleb is completely unappreciative telling him he's going to blackmail him and that his wife is a C word right before blowing up as he's flipping Tom Cruise the bird <laughs> from a moving car. <laughs> like he's just really entertaining. Or, like there's this whole bit where Jesse Plemons who plays this unassuming town sheriff sees JB walking around with a big briefcase that has cash sticking out of it. Why JB is doing this? No reason. Really. <laughs> he enters the diner sees the sheriff says sup and the, Jesse Plemons is like sup and then he pauses there for five seconds and then just runs and then Jesse <laughs> Pellins is like come back here you little bastard and like if he didn't run like Jesse Pellins probably wouldn't have even chased him like, it's just so stupid and um, he's so it could be like a really infuriating character but he becomes so funny to watch and like I think it's a credit to Caleb and it's kind of nice to see him play like a, a similar character to the ones he often plays but a little less intense a little more light you know yeah. and, and I do
0: like as you know as a as a subgenre, there's like a you know, loosely based on her true story yeah. romps.
2: Yeah. Oh my God, I forgot. We haven't talked about Welcome to the Stranger. Oh my God, I can't believe you didn't mention it, Stephen.
0: It's been an hour we haven't talked about Welcome to the Stranger yet, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. believe it. I'm essentially wrapping up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Forgettable the movie is. Yeah.
2: So Welcome to the Stranger is a movie about Ethan, who's Caleb landry Jones's character, who's an artist living in a secluded mansion, who is visited by his strange sister, Alice, who's played by Abby Lee, one of Immortan Joe's wives in Fury Road. Hints of domestic strife become apparent and are worsened by the arrival of Misty, who's played by Riley Keough, another of Immortan Joe's wives in Fury Road. Uh, Ethan's actress girlfriend. It's a bizarre movie. It's it's like and like
0: what's the title? It's like welcome. I don't understand. It's like they're welcoming the. They're like it's like an instruction. It's like. Welcome to Strange... Yeah, yeah. I don't
2: know either. I don't know a whole lot about this movie and I watched the whole thing. In fairness, I was ironing while I was doing it so I might have missed something important. I doubt it because there didn't seem to be a lot of important things to miss. Um, and is it like a horror? Or is it a, it's like a drama mystery thing. Like it's got this weird kind of like lights in the sky thing and like there's not these... Midnight special type thing going on? or something. No, there's L- no... Less there's, not, there's no monster, Less intense. Like there's no monster, there's no aliens, there's no other characters except for the three... Kelvin and Andrew Jones Riley Keough and Abby Lee um, but and are any of them strangers to each other well yeah like uh, Alice is estranged from Ethan for years oh, okay. and obviously Misty is a stranger to Alice okay. uh, but she appears in the first half of the movie in like dream sequences and is seen like getting absorbed into the sky by a strange light a strange light that's another stranger <laughs> um, yeah it's just a film that never offers anything concrete in regards to characters backstory or past events and it just has no solid foundation to begin with mm. and it just uh, like and you need some co- some ground to build from and when there's no ground there then you've no movie
0: And am sorry you're saying there's just the three actors in it
2: yeah well there's a housekeeper and a boy that sh- and her son uh, in one scene but they may as well be inconsequential like they could have easily cut that scene from the movie and it would have made no difference it's bizarre and like there's obviously caleb blanchard jones he has like this he's uh he spends the first half of the film aloof and half mad in alice's presence because she's obviously bringing old memories of abuse and abandonment up to the surface and then there's just a bizarre like 90 degree handbrake turn when misty shows up where he calms down and seems very very desperate to ignore alice uh and all the strange events that are happening around her and have come with her it's Seems like from what you're saying
0: they could have cut a lot more than
2: just that scene of the movie. Yeah, they could have cut the whole movie and it would have <laughs> would have been better. Because I didn't know anything about the story because there's nothing, there's a couple of sentences on IMDb, there's nothing on Wikipedia but I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this seems pretty good and obviously the trailer is hiding something from me. It's not. It's hiding yeah. nothing. And it, what's May right, as well
0: watch the trailer. That reminds me of um, of my one of my favourite quotes ever about any movie is when they asked Kyle MacLachlan about Showgirls and he was like, Well, you know, with a different
1: cast or a different script or a different director, that could have been a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a great quote, although he's wrong, because Sugars is great. As we talked about, he's going to be in The Forgiven, the new movie by John Michael McDonough. He's got great reviews for that movie, The Outpost, uh, the war movie uh, that's been out in America, hasn't come out here yet because of COVID. And then he's going to play a robot named Jeff in BIOS the uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi starring Tom Hanks uh, directed by um, Miguel Zabushik
2: oh the later battles of Game of Thrones yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's been a while since Caleb has shown up in like a movie that kind of really broke through like probably since 2017 and I think BIOS because it has Tom Hanks in it it as this like big sci-fi movie it seems like that could catapult him to a new level of fame
0: so uh, you guys like asked me like thanks for asking me back by the way but um, at the end of the last episode we did you were like what do you think is going to be next for Kelly landry Jones? And then on the way walking here, I had a really good idea. Okay. I want to see him. I want to see Kelly landry Jones in a gender flipped reboot of Boogie Nights as Amber Waves.
2: Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Which one is Amber Waves again? Julianne Moore. Oh wow!
1: Holy shit! That would be great. Follow us on Twitter at I Know the Face P One. Follow us on Instagram at I Know That Face. Thanks to Shine Fernandez again for running it. Please rate and review and subscribe wherever you get podcasts.
2: Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Head Stuff Gaming section, uh, where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. And hopefully soon we'll have a good review of the last PS4 exclusive, Ghost of Tsushima. Cool. Samurai Epic. Saul, anything to plug?
0: You can find me on YouTube uh, as Dear Drinks Man, where I take a comedic look at the soft drinks of the day and of yesteryear. And you can also uh, find news about my zine if you follow me on Instagram at SalpyB official account.
1: Can people still <laughs> buy the zine? Oh, they can, definitely. Because I have a short story on that zine.
0: Yep, See, oh, Stephen does have a short story on the new zine and then we also have a new one coming out uh, in a couple of weeks' time as well.
1: Look at the Headstuff film section. I wrote an article about Homemade, which was the Netflix COVID shorts series. Thanks again for having me, guys. See you later, Bye-bye. Bye. bye
2: This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.